This is the Humans of Gaming Podcast, an open and honest conversation about games, life, and beliefs. Hello and welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Drew Dixon. I am the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd and co-host of this podcast. And I'm joined as always by my co-host, Chris Gwaltney. Hey, Chris. What's up, Drew? Chief content nerd, Drew? Chief executive nerd, Chris. Yeah. Here I am. What, what, what nerd, nerdy things have you been up to? Man, I uh, kind of recently started playing Warframe. And oh, yeah? that's kind that of an incredible game. Like... I don't it it feels really under the radar to me. Like I've known about it, but I thought just basically like middle school kids played it. And oh, yeah. it's like really well. It's like done. a free to play. It is. Free to play? Yeah. Okay. But it's a deep, deep hole, man. And like, it's a shooter? It's uh yeah, it's like a shoot and loot kind of thing. Like you're just okay. you're a space ninja with magic and you're running around planets <laughs> and shooting aliens in the face and getting gear to shoot aliens better in the face. Yeah, so, that sounds fun. Yeah, it's a good time. Cool. Well, we are joined, as we almost always are each week, with a special guest. Uh, and that special guest is Carrie Patel, who is uh, one of the narrative designers at Obsidian. Uh, or may- maybe I said your title wrong. Give me your oh. official title, I guess. <laughs> I'm a narrative designer at Obsidian. Okay, Boom. great. Chief narrative I nailed nerd. It. Yeah, you could change it to chief, <laughs> maybe. Well... We'll pitch that to your superiors yeah. and see what they say. I like it. Uh, so, Carrie, you've worked on several games at Obsidian, but yeah, give us kind of like the 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 quick overview of what what you do and what you've done in the games industry. So, um, let's see. I started at Obsidian on the first Pillars of Eternity game, uh, which came out a few years ago, uh, which is sort of a uh, like a, an old school style RPG and, and done in sort of the, you know, an isometric uh, style like Baldur's Gate um, in the Infinity Engine tradition uh, for people who enjoy those games. So I started on Pillars of Eternity as a narrative designer and writer. Uh, I worked on the White March expansions in the same capacity. Uh, and then I most recently worked on Pillars of Eternity 2 Deadfire as narrative co-lead. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, people, if you listen to this podcast regularly, you probably heard Carrie a few, maybe like a month ago or so, uh, we, you were on our PAX uh, podcast, compilation podcast, um, and talked a little bit about Pillars 2. Um, and I do want to give you a chance to talk more about Pillars 2. Uh, but before we do that, Chris was going to introduce another guest we have on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we've been doing this thing the past... Uh, um, couple podcasts where you know we have this great group of people that really believe in what we're doing with um not only with humans of gaming but love thy nerd in general and um one of those supporters is here with us ryan my man ryan um say hi ryan hi (laughs) and uh (laughs) basically ryan's here he's prepared a question ahead of time he's a huge pillars fan which is why i asked him to be here um, him and I have gushed about pillars a lot uh, in the past over Facebook Messenger, but um, this is just one of the ways that we kind of want to like give back to our supporters, um, you know, who support us financially every month. And if that's something that you want to do and you want to be a part of, and you know, get to support the the great stuff that we are doing and want to do, and 
get to come on podcasts like this, um, you can support us too. And that's pretty simple. You just go to lovethynerd.com slash partner. So uh, anyway, I'm going to turn it over to Ryan and he can ask his, uh, his question and we'll just kind of go from there. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Uh, happy to be on the show. Um, Carrie, I definitely agree with Chris. I loved Pillars of Eternity. It was so great. But uh, my question is is more about uh, like your, your writing style. So what process do you use when you start working on a project to get your main ideas down? Like where do you start? And in, like even like what programs or aids do you use when you uh, have that idea, like in your book writing, for instance, and you, know, you want to get it from your mind to – a screen or to paper? So for me, at least, the, um, the book process is fairly different from the, um, the writing for games process. Um, for books, I'm actually a big fan of Scrivener. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but it's, um, it's very good writing software. Uh, it's, it's also very good at organizing your work, and I, I love good organization. Um, so I, I used to draft just in Microsoft Word, and now I don't understand how I ever did that or thought it was <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I draft directly into Scrivener. I, I like to start with a strong outline. Um, mm -hmm. I used to think of myself as uh, definitely a plotter as opposed to a pantser, if you're familiar with both of those terms. A uh, plotter and a pantser, I am not. Can you give me like the five-second breakdown maybe of oh, it? Sure. <laughs> so a plotter is someone who likes to outline and know exactly where they're going. Um, a pantser is someone who just makes it up as they go along. You're fine by the seat of your pants. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, so a lot of people talk about, you know, writers as if everyone's one or the other. I think most of us actually exist somewhere on a spectrum. Um, yeah. And I'll be, I'll be a very good plotter for, like, the first third and then kind of a sketchy plotter for, like, the second third and then a very, very weak plotter for the last third. And so I'll just, I'll kind of use what I've heard um, another writer named Brad Bollier call the inchworm process where you know, you know where you're going. And so you, you get all plot down and you say, yes, I have an outline, I know what I'm doing. And you, you write up until you start to, until your outline starts to taper off. Um, but by that point, you have enough momentum and sort of enough details that you've found in what you've worked on so far uh, that you, you can sort of shine the light a little farther ahead, uh, you know, strengthen your outline, get a good roadmap going before your next burst of writing. Um, so that's my general process. I, I do it in Scrivener because it's easy for me to organize uh, my scenes, um, and especially if I'm working on a project where I have like multiple point of view characters, I can, you know, very easily see, uh, you know, where I'm switching between one and the other, um, you know, about how much, how many pages or how many words I'm giving to any one of them at a time. Um, I can move chapters and scenes around very easily, uh, so that's all very appealing. Um, and then for uh, game narrative, we actually have a really great in-house tool called Obsidian Tools uh, that's basically, um, it's a dialogue tree. You edit directly into the nodes. Uh, you, know, you, you do the writing directly into the nodes. The nodes connect to one another as either NPC lines or as player lines. Uh, you can do scripting on those nodes so that, you know, through any one conversation, you know, you can start and complete a quest if you need to, um, or check various variables uh, to introduce reactivity based on other things the player's done. Yeah, that's cool, because the part of Pillar's narrative is how, you're, how the people around you react to the choices you're making, right? Like, your, your companions are kind of judging you, or like reacting, and, and those... And it carries over too, right? From the first game. Yes. Yeah. 
So there's a lot to keep up with there, I would imagine. There's a lot. Um, we actually, we had, so Confluence is the, uh, I guess, like the internal team management software that we use where we keep, where we do all of our, um, all of our documentation for, you know, levels, art, and pretty much everything else about the game. Hmm. So we have a, a, a Confluence page for Pillars 2 that was entirely devoted to Pillars 1 reactivity. And it's, these are all the things we want to react to. These are all the game one variables and, you know, what values they would be set to based on, uh, you know, based on these things having happened or not. And, you know, this is sort of the, this is the way we want to put this reaction in like, oh, well, so-and-so will make a comment about this, or you'll encounter this character in this other scene. I can't imagine how you, you, your team keeps up with all that. I'm like tired just listening to you say all that. Like I need a nap. You definitely have to be a plotter rather than a pantser uh, in in this for sure. Yeah. When you were talking about plotters and pantsers, it made me think of uh, also pantser is just a great term. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Is that like panting somebody? Is that what that is? No, it's like writing, like flying by the seat of your pants. You're making up a pants. Oh, okay. Now I get it. All I could think about was pantsing people in high school. That's all I could picture. (laughs) No, not quite there. That's bringing back bad memories. Um, That you brought that up. No, but. uh, are there like debates amongst writers out there? Are there like people who are like think that pantsers are are you know um, you know they don't they don't have fully formed ideas and they never produce good writing? And then there's there's plot there's uh, pantsers who are like, oh, the the plotters are so boring and they you know. I'm just curious. You know, I, I think everyone is pretty good about recognizing that it's just a very personal process, and I, I think the things you mentioned are inherent risks that people will recognize about each process but like it's less about one being absolutely better than the other and more just sort of recognizing like what kind of writer are you what's your temperament you know what what is it that gets you excited about the stuff you're working on um because yeah for you know just like you said for some people outlining everything will absolutely kill the fun of writing it um whereas for some people not having a roadmap is uh you know is daunting and um you know the process you know the idea that you're going to most likely uh write and delete a lot more words maybe have to go through a lot more drafts in order to find your through line um is just not appealing to some people but you know again for others that's part of the fun um yeah yeah people are very good about saying that's your process this is mine you know the main thing is just there's no one process it's really just finding what works for you and i guess uh, you know, accommodating, you know, whatever the shortfalls of that process are and, you know, making sure that you're, you know, kind of editing where you need to edit or, you know, finding that through line one way. Yeah. Yeah. If, uh, I'm, if Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire, the new game, were a novel, how many pages do you think it would be? So I think it would be more like eight novels, to be honest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, novels, no. Depending on the genre. Um we were we were keeping track of our word count for a while because you know anything anything you write has to be translated, um, and for us as it turned out, most of what we wrote actually had to be voice acted as well. Yeah. Um, you know we do write uh, non-dialogue prose, so you know gestures, expressions, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't voice that, but we did voice all of the dialogue. So you know you want to know how many words that is and what your costs are going to be. So. The last, I, I don't know what the like, what the final count was, but we were hovering around 
I think a million words <laughs> for a while. And if if you ballpark it, you can say a novel is about a hundred thousand words, depending on the genre. So yeah, yeah, a hundred thousand words is like three hundred and fifty pages in the average novel. Is that yeah, something like that. Something like that. Jeez. That's impressive. <laughs> yeah. So uh, clearly, you guys uh, work hard on on uh, have worked hard on this project. Uh, what, what's the reception been like? I, I've noticed um, people seem to really love the new game. What, what's it been like uh, seeing that come out and seeing how people how, how uh, uh, players have responded to it? It's really exciting. You know, it's um, it's crazy to think that. So I, I guess this was about a two year development cycle, which I realize is very short. Um, you know, for a lot of games, but even then, you know, you're, you're working on this thing so long and in, uh, you know, I mean, it's not an isolation, but I mean, you know, as a team and I realized that, you know, we're very fortunate and that we were able to get our work out there, you know, a lot faster than some teams that, you know, may spend like five years on a project. Like that's, you know, that's crazy to me. I like if, if, if I'd spent, if we'd spent five years on one of those projects, the first game would just now be coming out, I think. Right. Um, so, you know, between that and the fact that this is, um, you know, that this was crowdfunded. And so, you know, having open dialogue with our fans and being very open about what we're working on and kind of the state of our progress um, has been really exciting for us as developers, just because, you know, we do get to see that feedback and that reaction um, a lot faster. And it, it has been really exciting to see people respond to dead fire. Um, you know, I love what we did for Pillars, and I, I do think we improved on Deadfire in just about every way. Um, you know, the world feels more open and explorable. Uh, we did a lot more with our companion relationships. I think the voice acting brought a ton to the game, and so it's been really great to see people react to that um, and, and enjoy those features. Do you, uh, when you you said you, all you know, all the dialogues voice acted, so, and then it all has to be translated as well, so when you do the voice acting, do you, or you have voice actors in other languages as well, or is it just English? Just English. Okay. I was just curious. Um, cool. And so uh, also I was curious, as you talked about it being crowdfunded, um, was that the case with the fir- That was not the case with the first game, was it? So yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was. Okay. It was, uh, was funded on Kickstarter. And then for Deadfire, we went to Fig, which is a different platform. Um, okay. We, we used crowdfunding for both. Okay, cool. And I was just curious because, um, you know, I think crowdfunding is pretty interesting in that, like, I, th- I think you either see games, like, that are crowdfunded get into a lot of trouble <laughs> with their audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when you trade a publisher for... for a whole bunch of people, you know? Uh, yeah, you're just sort of trading. They come with different uh, risks and rewards. But, you know, it seems like you guys have consistently maintained, like, this really healthy, positive relationship with your audience. Um, I was curious if you have a sense of how you were able to do that. I think one thing that helped is that, um, so, you know, Pillars is a style of game that Obsidian is very much known for, you know, from it being an isometric RPG to being very, you know, story and narrative focused, um, you know, a very, uh, you know, 
deep and well built out world. Um, mm -hmm. I think those are all things that Obsidian games, you know, were generally known for. And so I think it helped to sort of say, you know, when you're when you're presenting this project, you know, this is something that's in our wheelhouse, and you know, this is the kind of game that we would like to make, and this is the kind of game that we think a lot of our fans would enjoy. Um, but sort of because of the size and the style, it's not necessarily the kind of game that a lot of uh, publishers are looking to fund. Uh, and so I think there was just a, a very good intersection there between, you know, what we knew how to make, like what we were very good at making um, and what we were known for making and, you know, what, what fans were looking for that they hadn't maybe seen in a while. And yeah. I think mm -hmm. a long way. yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I'm, it's, it's cool to hear that because I think... Um, it, I mean, it's sad to me the idea that a publisher would look at a game as high quality as what you guys are doing with Pillars Two and go like, "Oh, that's not like they don't, and not see the potential in it." But to know like you can turn to your community and and get that support that you need to put out a, a you know a great game like that's I'm glad that option's out there. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's um, I think they're it's definitely exciting to see you know. What, and not only with games, but with other kinds of media as well, just the different funding and distribution mechanisms that are available and the different mm -hmm. kinds of content that, you know, it's becoming possible to produce and, and to produce well and profitably for the people involved. Um, yeah. I think that's opening up a lot of opportunities. Yeah. Well, we want to hear about you. Uh, wh where are you from? Where'd you grow up? So I'm originally from Katy, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. Um, actually moved out to California, uh, to start Obsidian about four and a half years ago. Okay. And you lived in the Houston area? Yes. Before that? Yes, correct. I think Ryan, was Ryan telling us he's originally from Houston? Did I hear? I don't remember. He's in San Antonio. That's where he lives now. I think he's from San Antonio. I don't know. He oh, could okay. unmute his mic and tell us. Anyway. <laughs> San Antonio is a nice place. Um, my husband describes Houston as the Camry of cities. It's uh, it's very affordable. You you know, but it's got everything you need. It's not too flashy, but it's very livable. Yeah, yeah. Two hundred thousand miles on it. It's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Camry of cities. I would I would never have thought to make that connection, but I can totally see it. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, so okay. whole other side of of. I live in Nashville, Tennessee now, but um, but so. My best friend in elementary school moved to Houston, so I went out there quite a bit to visit him. But, um, but yeah, so I've been to Houston a good bit, and I think uh, Camry is 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 a good fit there. Uh, <laughs> what was it and like where, growing up? Oh, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I just said hopefully one with the AC working. It's very small. yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. What was it like growing up? Like, did you were you? Um, Brothers, sisters, what your, would your parents do? So my dad is a CPA, um, and my mom does bookkeeping at his office. Um, let's see, I have two younger sisters. Uh, we're each two years apart. You know, there's always like that that little period of time when everyone's kind of figure out who they are where you don't totally get along, but we actually get <laughs> along extremely well now. I, I always remember it was um, with my middle sister. I think it was when we were both in high school, and uh, – she thought I was very nerdy, which was entirely true. And I thought she was very stuck up at the time. And then we both <laughs> met people who liked and respected us both. And uh -huh. we were like, oh, well, you think she's okay. Maybe she's okay. 
And I think that was about the time we started just like really getting along very well. Yeah. That's cool how those things change over time. Like, um, I think for whatever reason, like school, uh, what is it? Like squabbles and politics and stuff can keep us from seeing like the, just the inherent like dignity of each other in weird ways that yeah. we have to get over, I think. Yeah. But, uh, you know what I'm kind of convinced of? At least like thinking back to myself as a teenager, like middle school or whatever, is. I just kind of make an excuse for my behavior because my brain wasn't fully developed. <laughs> like that's just what I have to tell myself because <laughs> like, Oh man, it's just a weird time. So yeah. it has to just be because your brain's still growing. Right. Were you a nerd growing up, Chris? I don't, I think we've talked about this, but I don't remember. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, I kind of like came more into it as I like got into, uh, like middle school and high school. I'm from Indiana and like my whole family is very Midwest, very, um, I don't even know how to explain it, but none of them are really like about nerdy things. And they, in fact, pretty much see it all as a waste of time. And so I kind of was the black sheep. Um, but yeah, I came more into it as I got into high school. I think when I started mm-hmm. playing D and D in eighth grade, that probably did it. Yeah. I think I was always a nerd, but I was trying really hard not to be, you know? Yeah. Well, it wasn't um, cool back then. It's cool now. No, yeah. No, it definitely wasn't. What was, you, you described yourself as a nerd, Carrie. What was, what was the, what made you a nerd back then? Like, was it, were you writing your own fantasy fiction? What, what were you up to? Where to begin? I don't know. I, I guess, I mean, I, I loved computer games and video games. Um, still do, obviously. Uh, I read a lot. I was a big bookworm. Um, science fiction, fantasy, especially, but not exclusively. Um, I actually didn't get into uh, much table like D and D or tabletop gaming until uh, much later. So I, I I did not have that going for me. Um, I don't know. I was also I was just very studious, uh, very I don't know responsible, very bookish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. One word. Which is- That's a nice word for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so practical, but not cool for whatever reason. Right. I, I wonder if that's to think to think back now that like that, you know, because I was also definitely a very sort of, you know, rule follower by the book. Oh, this is what's okay, well then I'll do that. And it's funny to look back, you know, now as a thirty something year old and you know, and just a bit more relaxed about everything and think like, man, how was yeah. I so how was I so reserved about everything? Like I could have had a little I could have let loose a little more. It would have been fine. Yeah. Because your brain wasn't fully developed. See, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Now it is, and you're perfect. <laughs> well, and every, everything just seems like such a big deal at that age, you know? Like, right. Mm-hmm. Everything's the end of the world. Everything is, you know, super important. And it's just, I don't know. It, it's, yeah, you think all this stuff matters and you just get really hung up on it. And you're like, oh, this is what I got to do. It was, a, it was a blip. Like, mm-hmm. I barely remember stuff that happened in high school because. I've lived a lot of life since then, you know, it was just a blip. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, you know, there's all those people that would tell you, these are the best years of your life. Um, (laughs) yeah, yeah. Those, uh, 
Uh, that's definitely been a lie for me. Thankfully, thank the Lord. Uh, <laughs> speaking, <laughs> speaking of the Lord, uh, this is a great transition. <laughs> Did, was a religion a part of your upbringing at all? Yeah, actually. So um, I grew up Southern Baptist. Hey. Uh, yeah, yeah. A lot of so a lot of that in Houston. Yeah. I reckon. Yeah, quite yeah. a bit. I, I said I reckon like <laughs> that was my Texan coming back. <laughs> yeah, so I guess yeah, so that's probably all pretty familiar to you, Drew. Um Yeah. Yeah, like I don't know, I, I think, you know, as I got older, like I would still consider myself Christian, but definitely not in the same definitely not in what I would think now is a very dogmatic uh way. I mm. I I don't I don't know, I I think my perspective on a lot of things has changed. Um, like the, I, I started going to Ecclesia, you know, after I graduated and came back to Houston, which was, I guess, sort of an emergent church kind of place full of lots of ex-Baptists. Um, uh-huh. I was like, yeah, this is, I feel like this is my kind of place now. Mm. Cool. Do you still go there? Well, you're not in Houston no, I anymore. Houston. Um, I do actually listen to their podcast sometimes. Um, okay. Yeah. Like it's, I, I, I still, you know, like what I hear from them. I like what they stand for. And it's just, I don't know, a very kind, real affirming kind of place. Um, yeah. So I like all that about it. So you said there you're less dogmatic now. I'm curious if you give us an example of like, of, of how, of, of an area of your belief that's less dogmatic than maybe what you were raised in. Oh, I don't know. Like it's, you know, it's weird because like that's such a broad category of things. Um, but sure. you know, I, I, I think the, the style of, you know, Southern Baptist, you know, that I grew up around, it was, you know, it was very much sort of about believing the right things, you know, and, and you got mm-hmm. the sense that you were sort of either in the in group or the out group. And part of it was about belief and part of it was about, you know, I don't know, I guess, being churchy in, you know, a very overt sense, you know, yeah. it would be like, I'm like, well, I like Star Wars and Alien, and you guys like mm. Debbie Tales, and can't both of those things <laughs> be okay? And I, you know, I don't know. I was just, but thankfully, there's like a Veggie Tales that's based in Star Wars, so you don't have to watch Star there Wars. I guess, I guess. <laughs> I, I never got that deep into it, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I don't actually know if there's a... Yeah, I think you made that up. I don't think I that's probably made it. I'm pretty sure there's a Lord of the Rings one, but... I, I would, I believe you. I don't know. Lord Lord of the Beans, I think, is what it was. <laughs> I'm not making that up. Anyway, sorry, you were saying... No, just, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, you know, there, there was definitely a lot of fire and brimstone. I, and I remember hearing mm-hmm. uh, in one of your early episodes, you guys talking about, you know, the... Uh, the annual like super patriotic church service. And I was like, yes, mm. I definitely remember those every year. That was weird. Yeah. Christian uh, nationalism. Give it to me. Yeah. I think just, you know, it's, I, I think my beliefs over, over time have come to center, you know, I don't know, less around the idea that, you know, I don't know that God would love or not love people because of whether they, you know, believe the right version of history and more just about like, you know, they're, I don't know. I, I think there are lots of ways to, to express that love and to share it with other people and to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to receive it. And I think there's value in all of those, you know, and saying like, well, you know, you should only really hang around people who believe this set of things probably because they grew up believing this set of things. Yeah. You know, and then these are the these are these specific cultural products that we think that 
uh, you know, express these values accurately. And so that's what you should like. I'm like, I don't know about that. Nah. Yeah. Is there yeah. any like uh, kind of one like catalytic thing that happened that kind of put you on that path or I'm sure it was more of a process, but what did that, how did that start? Like, was it leaving home or what did that look like? Um, you know, I, I think, I, I think it was definitely a process. I, I don't remember, you know, any one moment. I, I remember a lot of different moments where I would kind of look around and think like, this is a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, I, I think part of it was, what you- oh, what was that? I was going to ask you if you have an example of something that you looked around and thought, this is kind of weird. That was like, (laughs) yeah, I I think one of it was um, perceiving a very performative aspect to a lot of Mm. like one thing I remember, I don't know if you guys had on like, I don't know. And, you know, junior high retreats and whatnot. Um, I think after junior high, I just stopped going to those because I was like, you know, this isn't really what I want to do with my weekend to be honest. Um, and it's like, you know, you'd, you go away for the weekend and everyone would, you know, do their thing. And then you'd come back on Sunday and everyone would have like, then it's, it's like open mic time, you know, and it's like, everybody go up and and bury your heart and just share what, you know, what an incredible experience you had and and how it changed you. Mm. And I think part of it is, I'm, I tend to be a little more reserved about that sort of thing in general. Um, yeah. I think I'm much more likely to have a conversation about something like that than to, you know, uh, go up to the open mic and and perform it. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, there was definitely this sense of, you know, you know, come on, you got to, you know, you got to, this is what you have to do. And um, you'd see people kind of go up once and then you get to the point where it's like, okay, now that person has gone up three times and, you know, it's, (laughs) yeah. Uh, you get where I'm going. It just felt like a totally. lot. Totally. And that's the thing. I realize it can be genuine for some people. And, right. You know, it's, I'm just not one of those people, but it certainly felt like the idea was, well, this isn't about recognizing that we're all, you know, different people who experience these moments and our faith in different ways. It was more about, well, you know, this is, this is what we think you would do if it were real for you. Um, mm-hmm. I remember, I think I remember actually the very last time I ever went to like a Wednesday night service, it was, you know, and I, I was not like a hands up kind of person. I'm like a, you know, stand and sort of, you know, quietly. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you sing that. worship songs is what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not very, uh, you know, not very big with any of that stuff, but yeah. yeah, I remember, I remember the, the guy who was leading the band was, you know, I guess he was very in his moment and, you know, good for him. And he was just like, you know, if you're just not feeling it, like, you know, just go because you're just going to drag the rest of this down. And I was like, <laughs> all right, well, that's, that's me. Uh, I guess. See ya. Wow. Okay. <laughs> kind of the opposite that. of like the posture of Jesus too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you're not feeling it, just get the hell out of here. <laughs> you know, if you're not performing it this way, you must not be real about it. And it's like, yeah, yeah that's actually, I think, uh, friends to this tonight. My goodness. Right. That's John yeah. three seventeen. actually is Jesus right. saying, Hey, if you're not feeling what I just said, just get the hell out. <laughs> John three yeah. seventeen. It's not really just to clarify. For <laughs> yeah. uh, that's not in there, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really identify with that because, um, I, I, I probably came to faith in a similar kind of church context uh, in high school. I was like 17 when I started uh, out, like 
as a Christian. Um, and I, I, I remember those cause I'm kind of, I get the sense from talking to you, like, w- would you say you're a bit of an introvert, Carrie? Yeah. In a lot of contexts. Okay. Yeah. Well, and I, I just say that because I feel like so many of those contexts are sort of like built for either people who are really extroverted or, yeah, you know, and, and I just remember like always constantly feeling uncomfortable, but then I was a brand new Christian. And so I'm seeing all these people like confessing their sins in front of, in front of the group or, right. or like, um, you know, kind of worshiping in these really like, um, outwardly expressive ways. And I'm like, Oh, I, I that, I guess that's what it means to, right. to, to follow Jesus. So I've got to do that. And so now I'm in this place where like, I have to sort of walk back from that because I've, I've, because I I'm I just run from those kind of things now. <laughs> you know, like if someone's telling me like you have to raise your hands or you have to do this thing or you have to like express your faith in this very explicit sort of way, I'm like, no, I don't. I'm uh, I'm done with you. Goodbye. <laughs> but but I also think that there are people who do express their faith that way, and I so now I'm in this place in my life where I'm like I need to try to like understand them and and uh, and, and give them the benefit of the doubt. Uh, and because their expression of their faith may actually be genuine, uh, mm-hmm. and I may be the one who's being overly cynical or whatever. Well, and like I don't know, I don't know like how you are at concerts, for instance. But like I, I really enjoy going to concert concerts, and if I'm really into it, I'll sway a little. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's about as far as I go with that. Yeah. Sort of thing. So it's you know, it's not even a, for me. It's not even about just being uncomfortable with faith. It's just about like, well. I just, this isn't really, this isn't really how I kind of get out of my shell or out of myself with anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, it's distracting to me. Like when people get really, uh, you know, slain in the spirit uh, to throw out a good Christian term for you. Yeah. I guess maybe they don't do that in Southern Baptist, but it's just, I get distracted. Like, I don't know, man. There's some people that, just hoop and holler and flail around and I just can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. So do you still attend a church? You're, you're out in California now. Right? I, I, I was for a, for a little while. I think I just, I haven't, I haven't really found one that I kind of stuck with. Um, and you know, it inertia as much as anything. You Where know, are you at sure. in California? Uh, Irvine. Oh, okay. That's literally where I'm at right now at a hotel. Hey, what's up? <laughs> um, but yeah, like I think college too was just a good time to kind of, you know, branch out and you know, try try different churches and realize you know they're all just sorts. They're all there are many different modes of expression and modes of worship and, and lots of different ways to you know experience yeah. and express this stuff. And um, so you know, because like you know what you said about you know, you know, being new to the faith at seventeen and this you know this is what you see everyone doing. So, you know, how do you know this isn't necessarily the only way to do things? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was really nice to kind of be, you know, out, out of my community and out of my environment and somewhere where I kind of got to figure out for myself, like, you know, what's, what's appealing or useful or constructive, you know, about these communities uh, for me. And like, you know, what's the kind of place where I feel like I could, I could belong. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge. And it's really hard. Like, I mean, I, you know, I think 
Um, there's lots of good churches out there in the world, so I don't want to sound like I'm I'm denigrating any anybody or any churches, but it can be really hard to find that kind of community where you feel like, um, I don't know, where you feel like people value you and you have the space to sort of like explore your faith. Because I think, you know, kind of like we're talking, some of these, some faith communities can be so performative or whatever that it, you know, it's, re- it's really hard to like ask a hard question or, <laughs> or uh, step back and sort of, you know, evaluate mm-hmm. whether you're growing and that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I get I, it. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I, I think that was another, you know, big thing for me growing up is just feeling like it was not an environment where it was okay to ask questions, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I guess doubt was a sign of, you know, weakness rather than right. just a sign that someone has questions or someone's searching yeah. or, or again, someone who's of a different temperament, um, yeah. you know, some of us, I think, are, you know, we find something and we, we dig into it and we're very comfortable with it and nothing really dislodges us from that. And some of us, I think, you know, we find something and we kind of poke at it for a while and probe it and turn it around. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's how we get comfortable with it. Yeah, for sure. And that's actually one of the things that, um, you know, we've talked to, I don't know, 100 something game designers on this podcast. Um, and a lot of them have like grew up in the church and then are not and not a part of it anymore. Um, and I think, I think this is true of Kara Ellison. You mentioned having listened to the episode we did with her. Um, but lots of people have said this, um, you know, where they, that's part of why they're not like not Christians anymore or whatever is that they remember growing up and like having questions that they asked to their pastor or their priest or their Sunday school teacher or whatever. And it was like, Oh, you're, you're, you're not really supposed to ask that question. Uh, Or they don't, maybe don't say it that way, but sort of almost kind of make you feel like you feel bad for even bringing it up. And um, yeah, I think that's a huge part of why some people anyway, um, leave the faith. So um, yeah, I mean, I guess I just say that as like a learning point for all of us, like uh, Christians who are listening to the show, because I think we have a lot of Christians that listen to this, like, don't be afraid of those questions, you know, questions are good. Yeah. Carrie, do you remember any of the questions that you had back then? Maybe they're questions you still have. <laughs> I'm just uh, curious. Um, hmm. You know, I, I guess, I guess I think, okay, this won't be surprising. I definitely have a lot of questions about, um, you know, why there were, seemingly very strict rules for, you know, the behavior of men and women in the church, very different expectations mm-hmm. for, you know, the roles we would take in life and in family. Um, you know, I, I guess I had general questions about like, why do we as a church seem to think these things are okay and these things are not okay? I mean, the biggest one is why do we as a church seem to believe that people who don't believe specifically what we believe are going to hell? Yeah. Um, like that's a really big one. Like, do you really yeah. think that a loving, benevolent God would create a bunch of people who will either, you know, never hear the thing you think they need to hear and then say, you know, yeah, basically, I'm okay with the idea that all of these people have no shot in anything. Um, mm-hmm. That was something I never really, I could never really uh, accept personally that that, that yeah. would be the case. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big one for sure. Uh, I'm curious to hear like, what um what grounds because you said you still identify as a christian today so um 
Although, you know, like not as dogmatic um, as you used to be and your faith, your sort of your, your beliefs, beliefs about Christianity have changed. What grounds your faith now? Like what, what would you say? This is, this is why I would say I'm a Christian. I'm just curious. No, I mean, I, I guess it's still, um, hmm, that's a good question. And it's it, weird that I'm having to think so hard about this. I mean, I guess. I don't think of, it is. It's a big deal. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I realize that it's still, you know, it's still the, the model and the belief system that I grew up with. And like, realistically, I think, you know, yeah, I feel like a lot of Christians really love their conversion stories, but I mean, I think there's a strong inclination to kind of hold on to what you know to an extent. I mean, certainly if you mm-hmm. can find the things about it that work for you. Um, and I think there is, there is a lot in, you know, in, in the Christian message outside of, you know, again, the hardline dogma and some of the specific things that I, I don't agree with that I would say are more, you know, artifacts of church culture than, you know, actual faith. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, you know, stripping all that aside, I, I do think that there's a lot that's really beautiful about the idea of, uh, redemption and you know the idea of uh, you know a, a loving power who wants to be in relationship with us um, mm-hmm. and wants us to be in relationship with one another and um, I don't know I, I think for me when I I think when I stopped looking specifically at the church as sort of the place where uh, that you know that kind of you know love and power needed to be expressed and received and I started thinking about well there are lots of other places that that exists. Like, you know, a good friend who listens to you when you need someone to talk to, um, you know, something, something, you know, just something kind a stranger does for you. Like there are so many other places uh, where that can be expressed and available. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think that's kind of what I stick to a bit more nowadays. And it, it, definitely that, you know, the world is a lot bigger than, you know, certainly than the church and then, you know, the immediate yeah. communities that we're a part of and there, and there are a lot of ways to um, express and be a part of that. One of my, uh, one of my favorite articles I've read was um, uh, her name's Allison. I think she wrote for our site once, but she wrote this article about what the church could learn from convention culture, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like PAX and comic con, all those things. Like just, I've always seen so much, uh, honestly, just attributes of Jesus at conventions of just this love and acceptance and um, hope. And I think you're dead on that. The church exists in much, far, far more places than just in a building on a Sunday, you know? Well, and that's, that's a really interesting point about convention culture, because I feel like one of the things that's very strong about like, you know, the positive, you know, fun conventions is, you know, just this idea of letting people kind of express themselves and their enthusiasm in the way that works for them, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, mm-hmm. for some people, that's, you know, this really great cosplay. And, you know, for some people, it's, you know, you know, art, um, it, it takes all these different forms. And I think, the, you know, the best conventions welcome and encourage people, you know, to, to follow, you know, whatever it is that speaks to them. And that's really cool. And that, that's yeah. really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I've been uh as what you said earlier about redemption made me think of um I know Chris is gonna make fun of me for saying this, but I've been playing uh <laughs> I've go. been playing I've been playing Bloodborne. There it is. And uh 
you know, I, I just, it's this, um, so th- I guess this is a little bit of a spoiler, but, uh, it's been out forever. Know, the, yeah. The, there's these old, you know, these old gods and, uh, they're pretty brutal. Uh, and I was just thinking about how, um, I can see anyway, like if you, if you, if, for instance, if we did not have the New Testament, I could see how people would be really turned off by God, <laughs> the God of the Bible. Um, like if we didn't have the New Testament. Um, but uh, but I was just thinking about how the the story of redemption that is the that is found in Jesus, I think, is um, is is so different from these like brutal gods that are just uh, kind of taking advantage of of humanity and all these, you know, it's Lovecraft kind of Lovecraftian types type narratives. Um, anyway, I don't know. I just, I, I think I, all that to say, I identify or I, I understand that struggle that you mentioned earlier because um, like, yeah, it's uh, parts of the parts of the Bible with regard to that subject are really hard to understand. And I think so much of it, a lot of it really is, like you said too, is a lot of it really is cultural. Like we have this sort of cultural view of, of, of heaven and hell and the gospel that um, are not really like, not necessarily like biblical, or at least you need some people to help you like uh, work through those things. And you need we all need to have a space to sort of like, um, be able to ask really hard questions about them too. So, um, all that to say, I appreciate what, what, what you shared there, because, um, I think most Christians kind of have a hard time processing those things when they really slow down and think through it. Um, and yeah, we definitely need communities, um, where that, where it's okay to have those discussions and not feel like you're weird or, or, um, out of, out of line or something by asking those kind of questions about those really hard uh, hard things. Yeah. Yeah. Just a safe place. Like that to me is what I think one of the biggest positive aspects of a convention is that's a safe place for people to be. And I don't think a lot of churches are safe places, you know, they're safe places if you're middle-class and white or something, but if you, yeah. you know, think differently or look differently or act differently, then sometimes it doesn't feel like a safe place. And I think we just need more of that, you know? Yeah. 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 That's one of the wonderful things about this podcast too, is that like we've sort of, or I think it's wonderful. Uh, we've sort of been able to have conversations with people all over the spectrum about faith and life. And, uh, you know, and there's, it's been really good for me because like I I'm getting to talk to people who have a completely different worldview yeah. than me um, and sort of hear from them as human beings and what, what makes them tick and stuff. And um, yeah, I just think in our culture today, we're so divided that it's really hard to, it's really hard to even begin some of those conversations. It's hard for some people to be in the same room with each other, mm-hmm. uh, much less have a conversation uh, in this day and age, I think um, yeah. who are, who are, different ideologically, you know, but yeah. what, uh, are your parents still, are they still, uh, like Southern Baptist? Yeah, I think so. Um, overall, yeah, I think so. Uh, I know they were, they, they recently moved, um, you know, moved out of Katy and into 
you know, into, I, I guess, their retirement home area. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, like up until then, I know they were still going to the, you know, the same church we grew up in. Um, yeah. Mm. Did you ever have, it's always like fascinating to me because I didn't, my parents aren't like religious or anything. That was never part of my upbringing. So we've never had like any kind of conversations really about that stuff. Like, was that something a part of either growing up or now? Like, do you have those kind of conversations with him? You know, I don't think I've had one of those conversations in a while. Um, I know, like, I mean, I know we've, we've had some of those conversations over the years. And I, I think they know that, you know, um, like all my sisters and I to various, you know, extents are, are not necessarily on quite the same page, you mm -hmm. know, on, on some of these things anymore. Um, and I do remember there was a time when, you know, we'd go back home for the holidays and, you know, we used to go to, you know, uh, you know, church over the weekend when we were there together. Um, but, you know, I, I think at some point we just decided like this, this isn't really the kind of place we, you know, can really be behind. And um, like, it's not the kind of place I would ever bring somebody. And if that's how I feel <laughs> about it, I don't think it's the kind of place I want right. to go. Um, sure. You know, so we'll be here when you guys get back. Um, <laughs> yeah yeah uh what so you know we talked about your kind of where you are and your faith journey now like would you say that or i'm curious if you how maybe that impacts the work that you do like do you do you do you bring that to the table what does that look like in the the writing and things that you do like is your your your, your belief in any way influencing that um, I don't know. I mean, if so, like not in a way that I'm super aware of, like, and you know, when I'm working on something, like, I, d I definitely try to sit down with it and, um, like, I'm not trying to, you know, make it a vehicle for my own worldview by any means. Yeah, like, sure. and I, I definitely want to, you know, whether it's, you know, a character I'm writing for a game or, you know, a story or something, I want to sit down and, you know, try to look at it as, you know, would someone who is not me, you know, who's coming at this from a different perspective, would this be interesting to them? Um, mm -hmm. You know, would this, would this have some sort of value? Would it be relatable? Um, because I, like, I don't, I'm generally not super into, you know, message fiction and what have you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, I do, I do think that there's, you know, there's certainly something interesting that we can find in, you know, all kinds of fiction and creative output. And that's actually another thing that was, you know, always just a little bit disappointing about, uh, you know, the particular church culture I grew up in, you know, and this idea that it's like, well, you know, the, uh, I, know, I know there's a very churchy term for this, but, you know, the, the secular and the sacred, you know, <laughs> right. you know, this is, well, this is a Christian movie or, a, you know, a Christian book. And so, you know, we're okay with this and this other thing is not, but it's like, I don't know, like, is, is, do we really think that there's nothing of interest in here? And I, I still think, you know, I certainly think that in, in all kinds of art and creative output, um, you know, you can, you can tell stories about people. Um, and sometimes those stories end well, and sometimes they don't. But they're, you know, I, I feel like if there's truth to them, if there's something relatable about them, if there's something engaging about them, um, they're worth telling. Again, not, not to push a particular message or perspective, but just yeah. to say, like, well, you know, there's, there's something to explore here. And I think yeah. that is always worth doing. Um, so we, uh, Drew, you'll remember this when we were at a conference last year, uh, Rand Miller was there, you know, the guy that did missed. Um, and what's his recent game abduction. 
uh, Abduction is his new game, yeah. but yeah, Mist and Riven, and then Abduction. and uh, he gave this whole. So it was this Christian game developers conference. So it's all these Christians there that are developing games, and it's kind of all over the spectrum. Like you have some that are like making very overtly Christian games to like evangelize people. Um, and then you've got the other end of the spectrum of people that are just trying to make good games. And he gave this whole talk kind of about what you're saying, this idea of agenda, you know, like putting agenda into a game that you're making and how basically it, it illegitimizes it uh, to an extent, or it just comes off preachy and lame. Um, and mm-hmm. I love, like, I just loved hearing that. And I loved that he was saying it to a room full of Christians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause they need to hear yeah. that more. Yeah, I think I think it's one of the it's a long standing problem with a lot of like quote unquote Christian art is that like I think there there's this a lot of Christians have this assumption that your art is not worthwhile unless it's like preaching um unless it's preaching an agenda, it's preaching the gospel. Um but that's I think like a lot of times art is at its best when it's asking good questions and challenging the reader to sort of like engage with something and think about it rather than, um, Hey, here's, here's the answer. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. what, what do you say? Well, it just, yeah. And it's, it usually comes out as something that's very comfortable in that sort of, uh, yep. like more comfortable than things are in real life. Like, yeah. Oh, how can yep. we tie this up with a bow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I, um, you know, I led the site content for GameChurch.com for a long time, which is like an openly Christian game website. But I was constantly telling my writers, like, "Hey, uh, please don't write these articles as if you're you're writing to like your Christian friends at your church, because yeah. um, no one's going to want to read that." Uh, well, so actually, your Christian friends at your church are going to want to read it, <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or some of them are because it'll feel like comfortable and affirming to them. Um, but, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna change anyone's perspective or, or um, invite a broader audience to the discussion into the discussion about whatever you're writing about. Um, so, um, so yeah, I, I, I totally identify with that. Um, it's always interesting to me too, that there seems to be, I don't know, so little, you know, regard for interest in the creative process because like the first part of Genesis is a creation story. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of interesting that like, you know, if, if you if you believe that and if you believe that to be true and if you believe that this, you know, incredible world around us is the product of a deeply creative God and that we all have this capacity somehow, you know, to be creative ourselves and to make things up and to entertain mm. one another and to be engaged by these things we make up. Like, that's really powerful. And it's it's a shame that there isn't more interest in, you know, just what what we can do with that, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, outside of, you know, trying to push a particular message. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about it, like the beginning of the Bible is kind of radical in comparison to a lot of ancient sort of stories in, in that, um, you know, right off the bat, we have uh, a God creating, it seems creating out of pleasure and mm-hmm. delight in the act of creation itself. Like he keep like everything that's made, it's, th- this is good. This is good. You know, this is very yeah. good. Uh, rather than creating to like have a, have a uh, group of slave labor, <laughs> you know, to have people to do yeah. what they want. Well, and then also he of- makes everything. There's a lot of creation stories too, like ancient 
that are like come out of conflict or war or you know mm-hmm. things like that too. So it's kind of unique from that perspective as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then he makes like the God of the Bible makes everyone in his image, which may, you know, female, male, everyone's an image bearer, which tells you, I think like if, if you're a Christian and you really believe that, that everybody's an image bearer, it says that like, um, everybody's art has, you know, if people are creating in the image of a creating God, then that means everybody's artwork is like valuable and meaningful and has, um, something we can learn from it in it, something we can, we can gain, uh, something from the experience of engaging with it, which, uh, is a wrench in that whole, like, everything's gotta be preachy sort of narrative, you know, um, for sure. But Carrie, it's been great having you on the show. It's been great talking to you guys. Is there, uh, you, so you do your, you've been, doing uh, narrative work on the Pillars of Eternity games, uh, but you do some writing as well, like some do you, novels, is that, is that right? Yeah, I have uh, the Recoletta Trilogy, um, which the, the last book in the series came out uh, last year, actually, almost exactly a year ago. Um, okay, so cool. Say, say that again. The what trilogy? Recoletta Trilogy. Recoletta. Okay, like with an R? Yeah, R-E-C-O-L-E-T-T-A. Yeah. Cool. It's actually based after um, there's a district in Buenos Aires, Argentina, with a really, really beautiful, like above ground uh, sort of mausoleum uh, cemetery section mm-hmm. um, that's pretty famous. And um, that was sort of obliquely the inspiration for the uh, the, the main city in that setting. Uh, so that's what it's, it's named after. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Have you been out there to Buenos Aires? I have, yes. Okay, nice. Cool. And uh, and what are, can you give us like a like a quick what is the trilogy about? Is that your first uh, series of novels? Yes. Um, so okay. it is about uh, an underground city in a sort of a, a time when the study of history is forbidden. Um, and so it, it starts with the uh, I guess the murder of sort of a government sanctioned historian. Um, and it's about. Uh, the first one's sort of a murder mystery, and then the the second two are a little more sort of like political thrillery. But it's yeah, it's about these people sort of coming to understand the origin of their world and this you know why this very stratified society came to be. Um, but yeah, that's that's sort of I, I guess like gaslight punk sort of. That's maybe how I describe huh. it. Okay, cool. Yeah, sounds interesting. So where would people, uh, if people wanted to follow you online and follow your work, not only with Obsidian, but also, you know, your writing and things, what, what's the best way to do that? Uh, the best way is probably on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Carrie underscore Patel. Cool. Great. Well, uh, thanks so much for, for yeah, coming on yeah. the show. Uh, yeah, we really enjoyed it. Um, so uh, if you are listening to this and you really like it, <laughs> Would you go uh, rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher? Uh, you can follow us. Even, if you, follow even us if you don't on... like it, do it anyway and just lie. Yeah. Yeah. Just the only thing that we ask you not to do is to like, if you hate it, then don't rate and review it. And just tell listen to a different podcast. Just, if you hate it and you're willing to lie and say you love it in a review, we'll accept that. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But uh, one of the things we can do 
for people who go rate and review our podcast, is a lot of times we can give you a free game code. So uh, you can message me or email me, Drew, at lovethynerd.com. It's one of the ways we try to twist people's arms to go rate and review our podcast. Um, but yeah, just post about it on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, iTunes, uh, Instagram. Nobody posts on iTunes. <laughs> uh, you know, any of those, what, Snapchat, whatever what the you use. Uh, yeah, whatever the youngins are doing. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Drew Dixon82. Uh, you can follow Love Thy Nerd on Facebook. Just search for Love Thy Nerd. Um, we're like, by the time this is up, I bet. I'm thinking we'll have lovethynerd.com will be live. So um, look for great articles, interviews, um, reviews. Uh, We should have a review up by the time we launch the site too on, on pillars of eternity. I just, I just uh, edited a few days ago, did the final edits on a pillars of eternity Two dead fire review. That was great. So um, we liked it. The review was good. (laughs) Carrie, just so you know, what'd you say? I can breathe now. Yeah. I'm holding my breath. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So yeah, we're uh, kind of a big deal. So, you know. Yeah. It is probably going to, ch- you get a lot of sales yeah. from it. Um, At least <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's it for us. So, oh, go check out our podcast network as well. Free Play Podcast is the other Love Thy Nerd podcast. Uh, it's a great uh, amalgam of things, community yeah. news. Um, they do a great job it's really fun to listen to um go check out free play and uh that's it for us right on thanks again carrie thank you